Ladies, gentlemen, fellow educators, uh, we're back again. Blind educators included as well. Exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Anybody that's willing to listen, <laughs> thank you. Um, welcome back today. Uh, yeah, episode four, we're back at it. Uh, Malcolm and I. It's the first week in the spring. Yeah, we're, we're just sort of getting back into the groove. I know I have uh, my next Praxis text. Te- I know I was talking about my Praxis last time. I took the special ed practice. I passed, thank God. Congrats. Uh, <laughs> and Made now I have the second practice coming up um, at the end of this coming week. So we got a little bit on our plates at the moment, but still wanted to come out here and talk a little bit about uh, a few things that we had been discussing in class. And then a couple just sort of like broader ideas that Malcolm and I had been discussing um, in general. So Yeah, definitely. Um, well, first thing, you know, something that just popped into my head that you did take the Praxis. Um, and so now that you've taken it, right, for this is, yeah. like, this is for like teacher certification. How do you feel like the test, like did the test like contribute, like did it help you or like did it help you see what you need to like work on or like what you knew or did it seem like it was like a lot of theoretical stuff with like um, practice application or... I would say, uh, as I was taking it, I guess it a little bit felt uh, a little bit of it felt subjective. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say overall, I think that we we've been given a lot of the tools to like be successful on that test. So yeah. okay. I was a bit more afraid of it than I needed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said. Yeah, the, the language they use is, is a little ambiguous, uh, and they they get very specific on on terms or mm-hmm. um, not just on terms, but on you know certain I don't know if they're, if they're diseases, but certain things that like I know that we don't cover in like our sped classes. Okay, like, yeah. Uh, and so you just sort of have to use process of elimination yeah just sort of just do the best that you can um and like i said it ended up being a lot easier i think it was like a tri test i ended up taking an hour yeah um but it was still yeah it was just you know just gotta be really 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 careful and pay very close attention to the language in the question because something that you might think is not that important to the idea that it's trying to get to, yeah. to convey is actually like maybe the most pivotal <laughs> aspect of the whole entire question, right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, shout out to Urban Teachers. I think they do a really good job of preparing us for it. Um, but I would say that if I, without studying beforehand or without looking at like how the test is structured, because one of the things that they do in the test is they do t- uh, talk a lot about like theoretical situations, mm-hmm. right? So if a student was doing this or if a student was diagnosed with this, then your response should be A, B, C, or D. Oh, wow. um, and it wasn't as much, uh, you know, what is IDEA or, um, you know, what is this uh, okay. disability? That's it was good. a lot okay. of just like situational, so, okay. um, situational stuff. So uh, taking a, a real close look and studying beforehand really, really helped me out. Okay, that's good. That's yeah. good to know. 
Um, I'm glad we got to touch on that. We'll for sure. Um, and, and also, um, just as a real big shout out, we finally released, I know we've been recording these, what, uh, we finally released our first episode and the amount of love and appreciation we got from so many individuals. Yes, um, thank you all of our yeah. people at Urban teachers our family mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, shout out to dr lou matthews uh uh he shared out our podcast on twitter and uh, his words of affirmation were were really inspiring so yeah thank you thank you to everyone thank you very much so when we get what we're going to be talking today what we've been thinking about talking about is uh the language that we talk um or engage with with our students and you know, we uh, we brought this conversation up in class, or I brought it up in class the other day, um, in our understanding and managing behavior, because one of the things that we were talking about was the way that we could sort of work on creating a classroom environment mm-hmm. that supported our students, um, so we didn't necessarily have some of the behavioral issues that we might have if we ha- if we didn't make sure the structure of the classroom was sound. Um, And one of the things that I know I really struggle with at my own school and in my own practice is making sure that I'm not buying into a lot of the same uh, oppressive language that I feel like we do to assert power or domination, right? And um, how can I get my youth to respect me and to feel comfortable around me while also like listening to what I say because you know we have a lesson that we have to mm-hmm. do and they have parts that they need to pass right and, and 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 sometimes when they feel really comfortable around you um that can sort of manifest itself in um a difficulty with them following what you say yeah yeah do you, you get what i'm saying about yeah because i think like language um language is such an important part of your whole classroom culture like the more i think about it the more i realize how important like your language mm-hmm. is really going to like either like make or break your success in your classroom i, I believe it can because like you said if we pick up on like the oppressive type of you know shut up and sit down language that um, you hear in a lot of schools um, between teachers and students. Yeah, you could see how that culture already is so, so damaging. Um, I mean, I, and, and we people are probably hearing or replicating that same language because that's what we're taught. Yeah, exactly. Especially um, if you... Um, so behind closed doors in your house, yeah. like that's well, probably what a lot of these kids, a lot of people in general are, are experiencing. Yeah, like... You know, you pick it up from just being a student and having a teacher do it to you. And then, yeah, it's part of teacher education. And we even talked about this about, you know, student teaching. Mm-hmm. If you're student teaching in that environment and you're like, that's what you're observing day in and day out, then it's bound to at some point come out of you or you start feeling like, oh, this is the way that I need to talk to my students um, in order for them to respect me as well. Um but I think with the language part of what the first thing that we can do, and I, I remember I gave this example in, in class, um, I think it's just sometimes the way we accept greetings from mm-hmm. our students. Um, and I know a big thing that I've witnessed is that the child always has to say good morning to 
to the adult. That is the what is deemed appropriate. Good morning. Um, but you know, children, I think, and I even growing up, like first thing I say, sometimes even in the mornings I'd be in the house, I'd be like, What's up, Dad? What's mm-hmm. up, Mom? What's up? Like that's the first thing I say. Um, and that's the first thing a lot of children say in different ways, you know, what's up, what's good, what's going on, you know, mm-hmm. stuff like that. And I think that in the morning, like if a student comes in and says, What's up, Mr. Malcolm? That's perfectly perfectly okay with me. Um, but I've been in situations where I've seen that happen and the kid get um, disciplined. disciplined or punished or yelled at, you know what I mean? Just because they said, what's up? And the teachers deemed that as disrespectful and said, you don't speak to adults like that. So now you already have that barrier just off of language. And that, you know, a lot of that comes down to uh, respectability politics mm-hmm. and, you know, how are we supposed to buy into those in order to like show or display respect? Um, and a lot of this could be generational, right? A lot of this could just be that, um, you know, Malcolm and I are millennials mm-hmm. and uh, a part of a growing generation of people who sort of want to break down or ask why we're doing things the way that we're doing. Um, you know, but I think, um, I think the systems that are already in place uh, sort of enforce that mm-hmm. as well. I mean, they enforce that uh, re- those respectability politics and that, those guidelines like pretty pretty regularly yeah. um, or, or pretty consistently as well. And I know that for myself, part of what I feel like and part of the issue that I know that Malcolm and I are, are, are coming into contact with is... The, pol- the policing of language and how do we sort of, well, let me just go ahead and give the example, right? So mm-hmm. I know uh, that when I was growing up, I was telling Malcolm's story earlier that I, my godfather, uh, he was working with me one day at a Starbucks. We were doing some tutoring and I had some music in and I was listening to, I, 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 just, I can't remember the name of the song, but it's at the bottom jeans, boots with a friend. Yeah, it's by Flo Rida, yeah. but... Um, point being that my godfather heard that song and he asked to listen to it with me and we listened to it for a bit and I'm sitting there laughing because like I guess you know I was I was sort of awkwardly aware that, of what I was listening to now that he's listening to it but um, he asked me, like what does this mean and I said I'm uh, uh, you know I'm not listening to it for like what it means I'm just listening to it for the beat like I just like the I just like the good music and he said well let's Let's write, let's write down the lyrics. And so we spent time like actually writing down the lyrics and uh, then trying to talk about what those lyrics meant. And I remember that to this day, right? That sort of, you know, he was removing um, or making it so that I couldn't just say, uh, I, I just listened to it for the beat. He was making me actually become aware, self-aware of what I was consuming and what language I was sort of uh, bringing into my mind and into my body. And I know that now that I'm, you know, I'm working with youth and they're starting to feel really comfortable with me, I'm starting to find that the language that they're using, I'm starting to get a little bit more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're starting to use language that I'm not necessarily down with. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, how can, you know, my, my question is because I was a little bit older when my godfather did this when mm-hmm. I was like seventh or eighth grade. Um, middle school age, um, but how can we sort of begin having conversations um, 
that aren't necessarily around respect. Like that's not, you know, that's not respectful. And you're not being yeah. respectful. Mm-hmm. How can we sort of get rid of that message and instead just focus on, you know, what is the language that you're using saying, and why would we choose to use mm-hmm. something different? Yeah. Um, I think that example of uh, with you and your uncle is actually a great way to start opening up that conversation I think in in many ways because even if it's a song like low um getting you know him asking you one what are you listening to being Mm -hmm. willing to engage you in it now you're engaged um he took you through the lyrics you know that's that's vocabulary that's comprehension that's fluency that's so many things that you can actually turn into like the actual teaching stuff um, but then also creating that culture, like I said, in the classroom where the language isn't necessarily condemned. It's just examined. It's just discussed, like you said. Um, but is it different for, se- I mean, second grade and fourth grade? Like, is that something we can, can we, I mean, especially in public school, like, I can't imagine trying to bring in, uh, you know, six, nine lyrics into the classroom. <laughs> I mean, like, I think well, let's I, break this down. <laughs> let's break this I mean, down. I think... To me, the way I see it, I see I see it as a why not type of thing. If that's what I you're do, it's are listening to, you know, you happen to ask them what are you listening to, or you know, so because sometimes even as a class, they all have a one song or a group of mm-hmm. songs that they all just love, they all mm-hmm. just know. You know, asking them like, what is, what is, what is that song that y'all just keep singing amongst yourselves? Like, what is it? They tell you. I've even had students do it. I haven't broken down the lyrics, but I've had students like during lunch like take my phone and show me on youtube like this is what we all be singing every day and like just listening to it myself and like watching the videos it like helps me even you know in that little process be like oh that's why they'd be acting like i know i know but i'm smiling and laughing because i'm like i'm like imagine turning that into a lesson in class and you're like breaking down this (laughs) and the other and the principal comes in for an observation all of a sudden you've got you know uh, buh, fuck this. Uh, <laughs> up on the screen, and you're like, <laughs> like but I think, oh my god. The, I mean, that, that ties into the bigger school culture, but I mean, your principal one, he's just gonna have to suck it up at that moment. Like, he's, not, he's just gonna have to suck it up at that moment. And then afterwards, of course, he's gonna ask you about it. I think that's when you tell him, like, well, look, this is what they're listening to, so this is what we have been using. I mean, I think that's why, too, you have to get in your teacher bag. You have to be able to back it up and be like, yeah, I'm teaching them this skill and mm-hmm. that, and this is fluency. And, uh, you know, tied into that maybe just to get them off your back. But I think at the core of it, I think it's a great message about communication. I know. Um, it, just, it makes you think of poor, you know, Sarah and Ben, and <laughs> who, you know, their parents aren't letting them listen to <laughs> Their parents aren't letting them listen right. to 6 9 And all of a sudden... You're like, okay, class, well, I know you guys are listening well, see, to I think, this. I mean, I think it would work, see, and maybe that's something, like, I have a pure, like, my classroom, they all listen to the same thing, uh-huh. so it's like, mm-hmm. they'll all be, they, they, their parents listen to it with them. So. No, I feel you, I feel you, I feel you. That's just, you know, I think it's just, again, this is like a nuanced conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, every school situation would be different. You know, whether or not you could exercise this at, at your own school, sort of breaking down the lyrics. But even for those, you know, they're still going to be around. Those kids are still around it in their own way. I'm sure. Um, and then in a situation like that, right, it might be about finding a more, like, top 40 song, mm-hmm. you know, that they listen to or something like that, mm-hmm. that, you know, has the additional. I mean, there wouldn't mm-hmm. have to be. But see, but I'm thinking if it's even more than just, like, the curse words, yeah, right? Yeah, uh, that's what I was really um, just I think it's really more about just the lingo, the way... You know, like I said, it influences their jokes they make, the way they dance, the mm-hmm. way they act around each other. Like, 
it's about getting into that stuff, I think, more than everything. Because that language, like, even with students saying stuff like, you know, sometimes they just be like, you're doing too much. And it's just like, I know some teachers that hate that. Like, yeah, they yeah, say yeah. that, they're just flipping, how dare you say I'm doing too much? But, like, sometimes, like, a student might mutter that under their breath or whatever, you catch it, you hear it, and you just keep it moving. Because, like you said, we still got to teach this lesson. You still have to do this work. Mm-hmm. And so they just mutter it under their breath be mad for a couple seconds and then start doing their work <laughs> like um and it doesn't even have to be a thing like so i think the language aspect gets into a lot of different i think ways of like i said just interacting with your students like yeah because i mean i i can tell you like my host teachers amazing wonderful people i do not think that they're in tune with the music that is happening right now mm-hmm. um, and so it's a it's a certain level of you just don't know what your students are being and listen you don't you don't yeah, know what's going on with your students that much because um, you're a little bit out of the out of the loop um, and so it could also just be a good way for us as teachers to stay uh, quote unquote hit mm-hmm. <laughs> just, yeah. just, just stay relevant right in terms of culture you know cultural knowledge yeah i mean because even even me there's something like i said my kids listen to stuff that i don't know mm-hmm. and like i'd be like trying to figure out like what is you know this and i i just learned about the aloha aloha challenge have you heard about that see look i don't know aloha challenge to some video some dance kids be doing it if you look it up and watch it you'll probably recognize it if i Oh, that's what they were doing. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I had to get hip to that and understand, like, okay, like, sometimes, like, if they're in class and something happens, that's what they're going to do. That That's their little move, you know? Mm-hmm. But it's just, like, you don't get it until, yeah, like, so like, you expose yourself to that. Like, yeah, so every time in class, my teacher sees it, she's going to miss out in, on instructional time because she'd rather she thinks go off on them about it. that than just letting them do it real quick and just keep teaching. Keep it moving, yeah. <laughs> Most definitely. Uh, and then, and then, so this sort of conversation, you know, goes a little bit further for both Malcolm and I, because one of the things that we have talked about between the two of us is uh, we want to start our own school one day, right? I know I, I have had that vision for myself for the past few years, and I know Malcolm has talked about it for himself as well. And, um, you know, this conversation is really important if we end up ha- trying to start our own school um because the way that we want to either create boundaries or maybe get rid of some boundaries between the students and teachers and and um you know the institution of education like as a whole uh language plays a pretty big part of that um and as i think about starting my own school i have to think about you know how can well that's the reason why i started doing um urban teachers to begin with, right? Because mm-hmm. I wanted to be able to, I felt like I couldn't start to be, I couldn't even start to think about trying to start my own school if I had the experience oh, of yeah. teaching in a school, mm-hmm. right? And, and uh, how can I go about, you know, creating that space and creating that educational institution if I was always experiencing it from the outside? Mm-hmm. Um, and you said something earlier that uh, just really resonated with me, and it is if you know if we want to start our own school, it starts in the classroom. Can you mm-hmm. or like that sort of modeling it in the classroom? Can you mm-hmm. talk a little bit more? Yeah. So, um, I think because I want to eventually start my own school as well, um, and I remember 
before we started recording, I told you I wanted to do a private school. Mm -hmm. Um, And the reason I want to do a private school is because I really want to focus on um, like creating more of a a pedagogy, like creating a system. I don't even want to call it a system. I want to call it a pedagogy. Um, That people themselves can take into their classrooms. Um, and that's because, like, I think it, it has to start in a classroom. I think sometimes, um, you know, like, we talked about, like, starting a school and you got to think about, like, how big is it going to mm-hmm. be and how many families are you going to be able to um, help out and everything like that. And I think sometimes it turns into a numbers game rather than just being creating something that works, especially creating something that works for black and brown children. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's really my focus. Um, but why do you say, why do you say private? Yeah, I mean, um, because like I said, I wanted I want to keep it starting off at least. I want to keep it small. I want to be able to get, um, and I think it's a model that I've seen just from my preschool. And, and I want to do early childhood, so it's going to be a preschool. That's something else I need to put out there too. Um, preschool, but just seeing what I, from what I've seen works for preschool models. I think that that private aspect of getting a group of families in cultivating those relationships, having them go through the school for the whole experience, um, you know, really focusing on them, get them out, boom, you get another family in, more families. Um, And like I said, I'm more focused on creating, I guess what I would say, like something that is effective, you know, Mm -hmm. something that's working, that's like, and I want to do, and this is going to be, I think, part of my PhD research, like I want to do research onto like, the kids that come through these schools, that go through, they learn these things, they learn it this way, they involve themselves in these things. How do they go, like, what is, what's their projection like? Like, how do they keep going throughout society? Okay. Um, and, and, and one thing, um, you know, I'll say for myself, I don't know if Malcolm has actually researched how mm-hmm. to start your own school, mm-hmm. but um, we are totally talking about this from a theoretical yeah, fra- <laughs> frame point. Um, that's something I know that both of us have been really eager to talk to someone about, you know, what it would take to start our own school. And I even have, I know I have some ideas for my own school. I don't want to, you know, interrupt Malcolm, but I, I, I know that uh, if there's anything that we're saying that, uh, you know, you might have some experience about or, you know, you might know someone or can point us in direction to talk to someone that might have some experience about starting their own school and, and trying to do something, you know, radical within education like please point them out in our direction sorry go ahead Um, yeah so i think that's why for me it it has to start in the classroom because my classroom has to be (laughs) the best classroom ever Mm -hmm. before i can have the best school ever um and so i think like how we even talk about with language like that's something i've been thinking about a lot uh lately is like can you imagine like have you ever thought about like the first thing you're going to say to your students like come to start a school like the first thing you're gonna say to them and like that's very important like that's I think going that, to define that space yeah i think i think that is very important like you know i remember this um this school year observing at, at a, the first day of school you know with the way the teachers were acting with the way their rooms were prepared with what they had prepared for the students you know listening to what they were talking to the students about on the first day how they were yelling at them already on the first day just all these things and like realizing that i think that tells you you know kind of i think for students it lets them know how the year is going to go i think it's a big day for them 
I think it's a big day. I think mm -hmm. what you say that first day is very important. Like we said, that's language. And that starts, you know, I said in that classroom. Culture. Yeah. Um, and that's like what I think about, like your classroom culture is going to speak a lot about your school culture. You know what I For mean? Sure. Um, I even think about, you know, as you level up, like, you know, how teachers go from, from a teacher to a principal, like the way they ran their classroom probably tells a lot about how they have to run the school. Oh, school yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So, um, I was I was saying earlier. I know with my with the own school, I was sort of imagining. I want it to be an institution that tackles the issue of education from a multitude of vantage points. Mm -hmm. You know, I I like to talk about intersectionality, uh, and that comes you know not only with feminism, <laughs> but mm -hmm. um, you know with education as well. There's so many. Um, there's so many other issues that affect a child's education, whether it be access to food, uh, healthcare, right? All of these different components sort of play a and play an important role in how a student is able to access their education. Mm -hmm. And my dream school would be something that could tackle or or work on all these issues at once. And I am going to be honest, I'm not sure I, I I'm, there could be one out there. I know that uh, when I've talked to a couple, a couple people about this, there have been a few um, inner city boarding school type models mm -hmm. that uh, I, I've been looking at that, you know, sort of tackle education from a multitude of, of, of um, in a multitude of ways. Mm -hmm. But when I think about you know private school, charter school, public school, right? I feel like there are some pretty big barriers in terms of you know my students getting access to the education they need in every single one of those current structures, mm -hmm. right? Um, both public and charter schools are very uh, dependent on standardized testing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, meeting certain criterium that, you know, and being able to sit their student down and assess them for hours, right? That sort of model. I despise that model. <laughs> I think it's really damaging um, to a student's understanding of their own educational success. And then I also think not all students are able to express their knowledge um, via a test, right? Yeah. So uh, I really don't like that. And then my biggest issue with private um, is funding and uh, having to have students pay to get that high quality of education. You know, I was really lucky about being able to go to a private school where I was on scholarship um, back in middle school and high school. Um, but I was one of very few students mm -hmm. that were on scholarship. And a lot of other parents were paying you know, 20,000 plus mm -hmm. dollars to go to a high school. Mm -hmm. And that seems a little bit ridiculous, and I yeah. don't understand. I can't imagine trying to make urban youth have to pay $20,000 to get the type of education that they deserve. Um, so I'm still struggling to sort of figure out how what that might look like. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've thought about that at all yourself, Malcolm, but... Um, yeah, um, I have thought about that. Um, I think that's one of the things I think about the most. Um, but I think with that, the reason why I do want to do 
well, I don't even know if I would call it a public art project, but um, I do have, I do like the aspect of families paying or, or like at least like having, finding a way for parents to contribute and invest um, to not only the school, but to their child's education. Um, and I say this particularly for, like I said, early childhood. Um, I just think that a lot of parents, when they are able to do it, or when they try to do it, they look at it, at it as an investment. And I've noticed that they seem to be more invested in the actual school as mm -hmm. well, like as a whole. Um, so to me, I, I think if done the right way, um, it really creates like kind of like a community centered around the school to where the parents come together, they, they live in the same area, they all start to know each other, start to have outings, the kids all start hanging out together. And it seems to be like this, this good model of what building the community around the school seems like. Um, but I definitely get you what you say about like, you know, especially in um, urban neighborhoods where, you know, funding and parents being able to have the money and stuff like that. Um, but I think that's when you have to get, um, you do have to get funding. I think you do have to talk to the right people. Start getting um, creative, you know. Yeah. Even as we're sitting here, I'm thinking, you know, maybe instead of monetarily giving, mm -hmm. what if they're able to, you know, volunteer to serve school lunch, or mm -hmm. you know, and that would also get them to be to become an integral part of their community, like getting to know more than just their own student or their student their students' friends, but also getting to meet like, just like the community in general, other teachers, the principal, getting to spend time like with their kid at school mm -hmm. um you know i think all those might be cool little ways to to sort of circumvent that lack of of money but it's still just like a, a it's a reality mm -hmm. that a lot of our kids are going to be facing um and then you think about like the amount of time that a parent might have to give might be able to give would be limited because they're working multiple jobs like all, all those things mm -hmm. like sort of go into and provide barriers for um our black and brown kids to be able to get the high quality of educational institution that um, should be accessible to everyone. Yeah, yeah, and I agree. Yeah. And it also doesn't have to be, at least I, I would think too, like I said, I think this depends on like how creative you get with your funding and your sponsoring, all this, that, and I say it doesn't have to be expensive either. Um, or but even like a model, like you said, or maybe finding a way, like I said, how we said, this is all theoretical at this point, of getting or maybe the school offers jobs as well so like you said turn those volunteer opportunities into actual jobs and then the children just go to the school because yeah. the parent works there so maybe yeah something like that but the funding is something i think about a lot um but once again i think that even starts in the classroom and one thing that i've been thinking about doing for my classroom when i start is having some type of fundraising um in the community you know for the class for my classroom for my students mm -hmm. um getting them supplies for years for a year and stuff like that and trying to get some technology in the classroom and everything like that making sure we can go on some field trips bring some people in to speak um because yeah you want to start i think cultivating those skills and then just getting that experience of yeah what it is like to like raise money for education and stuff like that yeah uh what wasn't um Shireen, who was talking about 
uh, that school in Baltimore that mm -hmm. where all the kids raise money and organize a whole plan for their yeah. athletic mm -hmm. facilities. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I already know, I I know for myself that whenever whatever sort of learning that happens at my school, I want it to be heavily uh, project based. Yeah, me too. Um, something I'm doing my classroom. Yeah, too. because yeah. I already know when my students feel like they're able to apply what they're learning, mm -hmm. their level of investment is mm, tenfold. Mm -hmm. Just because instead of, rather than just feeling like they're learning something for the sake of school, they're, they feel like they're learning something that they can actually take with them out of the classroom. Mm -hmm. And trying to convey that, trying to convey that through words is a lot harder than it is than just doing it yeah you know mm -hmm. make the classroom the outside of the class the, class, the yeah. classroom if that makes sense mm -hmm. um you know I, i'm one of the things i really want to do at my school i'm i'm a i'm real big when it comes to food uh, i feel like i've mentioned that a couple times before mm -hmm. but i i just feel like food can be such an, an amazing vehicle mm -hmm. for education in so many different ways and i would love to have a farm uh, at my own school or like some sort of uh, raised beds that we could grow produce yeah, and then have that actually sense. maybe be in the lunchroom like we're mm -hmm. cooking using the same stuff that we're growing mm -hmm. I know that we have um, food uh, at our school we have a program called food prints mm -hmm. where the um, kids get access to healthy food and then they actually like learn how to cook it themselves inside uh -huh. of our kitchen right uh, which is such a super super awesome skill, and it's one of their favorite specials to go to. Mm -hmm. Actually, learn how to cook and and use the food in a bunch of ways, right? Nice and that time. could, I mean, you know, the amount of math that goes yeah, into cooking, like math, uh, science, yeah, um, biology, right? All History. those different, yeah, mm -hmm. all those different things that go into our food. Um, you know, I, that'd be one way that I, you could sort of radicalize or or alter the presentation of that information, right? Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, traditionally it's always, it's the screen, put it up on the screen, take some notes, uh, put it up on the screen, uh, do a worksheet, right? There's so much where our students could instead be out participating in producing the school environment. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, just like getting youth to feel invested in their space is just like so important. Yeah. I, I want that to be a key integral part of whatever sort of pedagogy I developed for my school or anything like mm -hmm. that. That'd be pretty, yeah. That would be pretty be sick. To me. Yeah. That's sick. And I think I want to talk about this. We can probably talk about this uh, more next episode too. Um, I want to talk about what, you know, project-based learning is and what it can be, because that's something that I, I like think about heavily a lot too is like, I'm ready to like do I really want to do project-based learning and like mm -hmm. really have my kids doing stuff um and so I have I know you probably have more thoughts and I have more thoughts on like what that can actually look like you know how we blend that with the actual curriculum and you know what we can how much we can make it shape uh, I'm hoping to hear back uh so four urban teachers over the summer will also be teaching all summer mm -hmm. as long as well as teaching uh taking classes I just interviewed for a position at the Youth Baseball Academy, nice. and they're sort of a unique educational program. So during the school year, they I think it's like two or three times a week they meet, mm -hmm. um, and then over the summer, 
eight to four, Monday through Friday, they have classes as well that are STEM based. Yeah. Um, using cool. using baseball as a mode for teaching wow. science and math. Um, and I'm really excited to sort of see what that looks like. And on top of that, they actually just started their own uh, garden farm um, at their facilities. Uh, right. And they actually were looking to try and incorporate just as I was saying, like that food and getting the students to actually like, cook the yeah. food themselves, maybe that's create tight. some. Dang, I should have It's super, it, it, it <laughs> seems super, super cool. Um, but uh, I'm really excited to sort of figure out some ways that, you know, instead of just talking about this project-based learning, find some more ways to actually like go about engaging in that because mm-hmm. I think, you know, until I actually have the opportunity to leave my own classroom um, and be able to sort of influence the curriculum um, and uh, curriculum assessments in ways that yeah. I, you know, I sort of feel more comfortable yeah, yeah, <laughs> is one way to put it. Um, that, uh, you know, I haven't really got the chance to see that much. Yeah. So I'm pretty excited about that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, I, where are you working? Do you know um, do you have any idea yet? No, I, I mean, as of right now, the plan is to still work, work at my host site right host now. Site? The Southeast Academy Friendship. Um, so, yeah, probably doing that. I'm just ready. I like, I'm looking forward to the summer because, like, yeah, like, summer is just be, like, a little taste of, like, leading your own yeah, classroom and getting activated with that. So, I, I am looking forward to that um, and being able to, like, test out some things. It's going to be super cool. Yeah. I'm pumped. Yeah, I'm really hoping because the, the, the thing about uh, YBA is that it's, um, it's pretty far. That's, mm. that's the one thing I know. <laughs> and uh, if you guys don't know, uh, I don't have a car. <laughs> so I have to either take a lift or public transportation or bike wherever I go and add in a couple extra money. You know, luckily, I live right down uh, the street from my current site. So distance is not really something I've had to you know, navigate as heavily, um, thank God. But come the summer, that may, that may change. Mm-hmm. So. I might have to start finding some more inventive ways to, to get yeah. to get because trying mm-hmm. to spend eight nine dollars every single morning to get to to work it's not yeah. that's not it. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, I can um, imagine. But thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate you uh, listening and partaking in our conversation. Uh, feel free to engage with us on our website. It's going to be talkingtomyself.org. Uh, it should be live and up and going. You can send us messages on that. Uh, you can also get up to date with um, our podcast. We should have our podcast actually on our website, as well as if you ever mention any books or any sort of articles, we're going to be including links um, and, and descriptions of those books as well um, if you'd like to maybe partic- participate a little bit more actively in our conversation. Yeah, sounds good. Thank you guys for checking us out.